0: Hope you're good. <laughs> Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Check out the latest lines. Uh, more of sports at BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Got to be 21. President Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, did you guys see this uh, mic'd up thing? So Rob Gronkowski needed one more catch to get his million-dollar bonus. Here's what it sounded like Where Rob's – Gronk is uh, mic'd up. Um, he – you know, Gronk had the – I mean, one, he knows he's mic'd up, but two, it was a game which is clear that he's having a, a good time. You know, good times had by all, and you can kind of hear it in his voice. So I thought it was a pretty cool thing. Like, there's, there's just been some things that, that make, make these guys – make even the Patriots – Seem a lot more likable. Here's here's Gronk. Let's go I need one more.
2: Yeah. If I don't get the seventh catch, I have to go get a real job. <laughs> All we got to see is Gronkowski get his catch here. Oh, oh.
0: What does that mean? cha cheek. Ronkowski has his catch bonus. Tom, good pass, dog.
2: Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, you dog. You just got a milli? Yeah, I got you a milli. You got a milli? Hey! Oh, I got a milli. We going. Where we go? To the city. we going We going to the city. Yeah, We're going, we get going get to get the it. city. Get get
0: my my uh, yeah, I'm not sure about the laugh. Can you imagine, though, catching a football and go like, that's a million dollars? Catch the ball, catch the ball, catch the ball. Now he's a gigantic man with gigantic hands, and something he's done a million times. But a million, a million dollars for one catch is pretty cool. One catch is cool. Uh, that that one is like trips you out. I mean, really, it's not for one catch, but you guys all kind of get my drift, right? It does it feels like it's for one catch, even if it's not for just one catch? That that's part of the that's kind of part of the magic to it. <laughs> like really one catch sure it's actually a culmination of a season long catches which is a culmination of a career but still you you do in fact kind of get the point right which leads us to the should tom brady be the M- nfl's mvp and we're going to do this thing I mean, people are going to do this thing anyway so let's have the discussion here's bruce arians discussing his thoughts.
2: If he doesn't get it it's a travesty. I mean, most completions ever, 5000 yards, touchdowns, the whole the whole 9 yards. I mean, to me it's not even a it's not even a close race.
0: Okay. I mean, look, we we have to we got to do this the first thing we have to do is uh stop with the most yards ever, most everything. They played more games than they've ever played before. So can we all agree on that? Everybody okay with that? Like, let's stop with the, that's not the, I mean, you know, like Justin Herbert threw for the second most yards. Like, I I don't, throwing for the most yards doesn't, it does nothing for me. Now, he did have 43 touchdown passes. Granted, he played all 17 games. Um, Aaron Rodgers played 16 games and obviously didn't play a ton, but he had 37 touchdown passes and seven interceptions, and his team won more games. And his team runs the football a whole lot more. So I I don't. If you're going to go on raw stats, okay. Based upon raw stats, by the way, Matt Stafford should be in the in the MVP discussion. Slightly behind him in yards, two less touchdown passes, five more interceptions, but his quarterback rating is actually higher than that of Tom Brady. We go by raw stats, but we don't go by raw stats. Um. It feels like we need to establish a Cy Young Award type of award. Byer, are you okay with that? That, Because the Cy Young Award is for the best pitcher in baseball. And generally, it's the best starter, although uh, some guys who receive the AIDS Relief Award have been able to, to get the Cy Young Award. But it's not the MVP. Do we need to do that for the NFL? We establish the quarterback of the year, and then we can have the MVP from everybody else.
2: I think, well, there is the Offensive Player of the Year award that is out there. It just doesn't get as much pub as the Cy Young award does as a secondary one. And I think that, I don't want to say, I'm not sure on how it plays out uh, in years past, but I do know that people are more apt to put maybe a running back or wide receiver in that Offensive Player of the Year award category uh, if they don't put them in the MVP. Mm -hmm. Maybe that just needs more pub. You know, that's what Major League Baseball does. They have they have their whole week of awards with the Cy Young being included. And Cy Young is usually the day before MVP as they ramp up the importance because it goes Rookie of the Year, then Manager of the Year, then, then the next day is Cy Young, and then it's MVP. So maybe they just need to pub more of the Offensive Player of the Year.
0: By the way, let me correct myself. Uh, it was Kirk Cousins had seven interceptions which is the second lowest of any of those starters, he, he, actually third lowest. Russell Wilson only had six. Uh, Aaron Rodgers had four interceptions, so 37 and four. Like, I, you know, I, what, we, what we can't do with Brady is we can't say, well, he had a great year and he's 44, so he should win it. The most valuable player is the most valuable player. I would also tell you that I think a lot of this is the creation of you know, 24-7, yakity yak TV that we're talking about. We talk about the NBA's MVP way too much. The NFL's MVP way too much. But it's become a thing, and now that Bruce Arians is talking about it, he's not wrong. Tom Brady had a very good year, but not as good a year as Aaron Rodgers. I would say that the offensive, again, they should have a quarterback-only award. right? Quarterback-only award. Then they should have an offensive player of the year. Then they should have a... Defensive Player of the Year, then they should have the MVP. I think it would give people a greater ability to vote somebody other than a quarterback because it has to be a quarterback now because they touch the ball every every play.
2: So, Doug, in three of the last four years, the uh, Associated Press Offensive Player of the Year has been a non-quarterback. It was Derrick Henry last year. It was Michael Thomas of the Saints the year before. Then Mahomes in 2018, and then Todd Gurley in 2017.
0: Mm. So it's kind of the de facto non-quarterback. Yeah, that's that's the sense that I'm getting. If
2: if there if there is someone who has had a you know great season uh, statistic wise, but just can't get over that quarterback MVP hump that you're talking about, I think that they are put in. Derrick Henry over 2,000 yards last year. Thomas set the uh, receptions mark. I believe in 2019. Uh, <laughs> Todd Gurley had that great uh, run, not the year they went to the Super Bowl, but uh, the year prior to that when he was great stats so this year i would expect cooper cup and jonathan taylor to be in that conversation of the offensive player of the year
0: um yes yes i would say cooper cup jonathan taylor and who would be the third non-quarterback debo samuel in my mind debo samuel thing
2: yeah he's yeah he was oh he's something boy yeah, he was he was second in receiving yards in the NFL when the Niners said, you know what, we need you to play running back. And so his receiving numbers took a hit, but then he ends up being a running back for them. And, I mean, when you think about their, their success this season, it is very much correlated to what Debo
3: Samuel did. So if there was yes. a third person I'd put in that conversation, it's Debo Samuel.
0: Um, yes, John Ramos.
3: And, and I do know, and I, I just want to preface this by saying, I do know that Arians is the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Therefore, he's going to promote his player as much as he can. So I don't, I'm not faulting him 100%. But the fact that you say it's not even close, it is close between him and Rodgers. It's extre- extremely close. In fact, it's so close that the majority of people I've heard said Aaron Rodgers. That's how close it is. So no. for someone to say, like, it's a travesty and it's not even close. Uh, I get it. He's the head coach, and that's his guy, but that's that's not very close to being true. I, I think it's extremely close.
2: Can I give you some numbers? Sure. Doug, do you mind or- – yeah. Okay. So, uh, Brady this past season played 17 games. 10 games had a passer rating over 100. Aaron Rodgers had 11. The highest passer rating Rodgers had in a game this year, 148.4. Brady's highest, 144.4. In games against playoff teams, uh, both guys played against five playoff teams. Rodgers obviously didn't play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Rodgers had two games over a pa- uh, with a passer rating over 200. Brady had three. Uh, four of those five all above 95 to 113 for all of them. So they basically they're all in the in the same in the same ballpark. Um yeah, I mean it is you want to break down if they played in, you know, how well they played in big games. Um they beat up on bad opponents in a lot of those higher passer rating games, but you know, even Brady had a good passer rating, a good game against the Buffalo Bills. Rodgers had a good one in that Niners game earlier this year when you're talking about playoff teams. So even as you're trying to, you know, split hairs on this, they're even even in all of those numbers. Um, They the, the each had one really bad game. That was Rodgers against the Saints. And guess what? Brady against the Saints, where they had passer ratings under 60. So, I mean, it's... It's close. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It it, it truly is. Hmm. And right when you're about to lean towards Aaron Rodgers, Brady has a number. Then you're like, well, wait, wait
0: oh, Brady did this. I would say my lean towards Rodgers would be twofold: one, the lack of turnovers, and two, the win in Arizona when he didn't have anybody with him.
2: Hmm. I think that's I think that's very fair. I I think that the the point that you bring up about the running game too. It's funny because I think people would use it the other way. Well, the Buccaneers didn't have a running game, so Brady had to do everything. You know, like there there's that argument as well where Rodgers at least had the luxury of. Of maybe keeping defenses honest. And then you talk about weapons. Who had better weapons this year? You mentioned the Arizona game. Tampa had better weapons. Evans, when Antonio Brown was playing, Chris Godwin. I mean, it does teeter back and forth. And the fact that Brady actually hasn't been in the conversation the last couple of weeks has been a travesty. He's been number two in the pyramid, by the way, for a while. But that's why.
0: What what conversation has he been in?
2: Well, I I think that, and I shouldn't say I think, I have felt that the conversation in the MVP prior to maybe Week 18 or Week 17 has been Aaron Rodgers or Jonathan Taylor?
0: No, I, I Tom Brady is part of it. I think that Brady's had a, a,
2: a great year, but I, when I would see graphics, it would be Rodgers or Taylor. And I think that because Brady was consistent you know, throughout the entire year, didn't miss any games, there wasn't as much drama about him... I don't think that people realized how good of a, a year he did have, and then all of a sudden now you end up seeing what he did with the numbers and he comes more to the forefront. But that's the sense that, that I got in following it. Once after that bad game against the Saints, as I think Ross Tucker pointed out, or maybe it was Chris Sims who was on earlier, the uh it the the tables did turn, but I think that we kind of forgot about Brady considering what was happening with Rogers.
0: Yeah, I, I... I, I don't think... I didn't forget about Brady. And then Brady's touchdown pass in week 17 after the Antonio Brown deal was amazing. Right? Like, that's like the part of that story that was incredible was they were losing that game. Antonio Brown implodes. And he throws a beautiful touchdown pass to a guy who no one had ever heard of before. And they won the game in spite of all that nonsense that was taking mm-hmm. place. I love I, that. That's one of my favorite moments of the year. So, um they're both Ro- great.
2: Yeah, Rodgers played in 16 games as we mentioned, and I just I have passer rating numbers that I broke down in front of me uh, of his top eight passer ratings. None of them came against a playoff team. Minnesota, Baltimore teams that were close. Cleveland was kind of close. Uh, Brady had uh, Brady had one game against a playoff team, so they wow. did kind of slay some bums for a while. But they were they were you know Brady had a decent game against the Rams in a game that they lost.
0: Rogers' best passer rating came in a game they lost to Minnesota. Did not know that. Yeah. Weird, wacky, and wild stuff. All right, good work there. Um, what about you, Jay Stu? Where where would you lean with the where, where would you lean with the um, uh, MVP?
2: I,
1: I'm rooting for Rogers, but for more of a personal, like a selfish reason that I know that people will get really upset about it and I love drama and I like how controversial he is. Brady's is just like, nah, boring. But once Rogers wins it, then that gives us a day of people overreacting to his Vax status and all that other stuff I, that he's. I in.
0: do think that there will be an overcorrection because of the discussion about the, the Vax. you know, like that, that's just the way people are, is they'll overcorrect. Like, no, no, I voted for him. I, me, I never had a problem with Aaron Rodgers. That was everybody else.
1: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.
0: Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Check out the latest lines from world of sports, the better sports book. Pet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Got to be 21. President Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania play. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, apparently Kyle Shanahan says his players didn't know about the Cowboys Niners playoff games of the past. When he was asked if his players knew about the catch, that's Montana Dwight Clark, not at all. He was asked if players today know the history via NBC Sports Bay Area. I wish I could say yes, but I mean some of these players were born in the 2000s. Shanahan said that the three great NFC championship games in the 90s were a major part of his formative years. That was part of my childhood That was just cool football because everyone knew these three NFC championships. Those three years, those were the Super Bowl. The 42-year-old Shanahan said that the generational disconnect with today's players goes beyond football. Every day in the quarterback room, I ask them questions from wedding crashers and stuff, and they don't know what it is sometimes. You'd be very surprised at the difference in some small stuff. Kyle Shanahan getting old. (laughs) Right? That's like radio and TV guy using ca- Caddyshack references. Big hit of the lemma. Long, the flowing robes, waves. Right? Yes. Uh, y- yes, John yeah,
3: I know. We're short on time. I, just, I never understand this because I, how do you not know about that? Like, you play football. Like, what? You don't. I, I wasn't around 1955, but I know the Dodgers won the World Series. Like, I know Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States. That wasn't around in 1860. I mean, come on, man. Learn some history of your sport you're in. What is going on? Like, uh, what happened in 1981? I don't know. Check it out. There's a bunch of books and videos. <laughs> I, am, I, am I wrong? I don't understand. What, why is it? It just seems so stupid. Like, you're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know about those teams. It was like it was 300 years ago.
0: Um, well, like,
3: look, I mean, I think we're just giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like, ah, they're just kids. Like, come on, man. I mean, learn some history of sports. I play in the sport for God's sake.
0: I generally agree. Okay. But how kids, I told people this story all the time, which is my son, Hayes, his his first uh, flag football game. You know, he's 12 now, so it was seven years ago. And he was crying at the end of the game. And why was he crying? He was crying because uh, there were no spectacular plays, right? They all watch YouTube. Now, I will say that Hayes knows some of the historic moments from greatest catches of all time, greatest plays of all time. That's what he grew up watching, not the actual games or whatever. He doesn't watch games anymore. He watches highlights and things come to their phone. Um. I'd like to say I agree with you, John, but it's really hard. I mean, also, I don't believe that most, okay, most kids growing up, they're not necessarily NFL fans, you know? I mean, it, it's all very, like if a kid grew up in San Francisco, he'd probably know more about San Francisco 49ers history, but a lot of them aren't. NFL fans like I'm a unique guy for a college athlete because I did know everything that was going on in college. Uh, Lots of guys knew the pros back kind of back then. But when you're when you're in your sport, you don't have you actually uh, football is a little different because the days are different. Like in terms of basketball, I, I can tell you that like when you're playing basketball as a kid, remember like my son, for example, so if he plays sports, club sports on a weekend, he doesn't watch TV all weekend. New Year's Day or uh, and January 2nd, was, uh, those are like two of the best days of my life. I kid you not. Yeah. And he had and my son had COVID. My son had COVID. We didn't know it. We thought he had it. We couldn't get any tests. So on the second at night, he, he had some symptoms. But it was because he, could, he had nothing he could do. And so we sat there and we watched all of those games on New Year's Day. We watched the Oklahoma State game all the way like through that all those bowl games and they were on and the college games he watched some. The NFL games, we watched a ton of. Watched all of them. And if you remember that a whole week leading up because he had the postponed games, it was like wall to wall football. We watched so much football, but that that's the exception, not the norm. Yes, football is on more now than it used to be go back to that time I mean the catch is what year 1985 81 81
3: 82 I, 81 82 yeah
0: I know the catch I'm, I'd be lying if I told you I knew the details of it other than was that third or fourth down
3: I don't know what down it was I just know that Joe Montana hit Clark in the end zone and they won they won the NFC championship so I'm okay, just saying so, I'm just saying that I think the players I mean, should should at least they should have an idea of, like, you playing for the 49ers. Like, you should have an idea of, like, the history of, like, a Cowboys 49ers series. I'm not saying you have to know every play of, of the every game, but just to be like, I don't know what happened. Like, what?
0: I, I, I agree with you, but remember, that's part of what we've taken from sports when guys are bopping from team to team to team. Valid point. What did I hear, Jay- Jason? Do you have breaking news? Is that right? Oh, let's get to Dan Byer and find out what else is going on. <laughs> News
2: from Fox Sports Doug Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is reporting that the New York Giants have fired head coach Joe Judge reports earlier today said that the decision to fire judge or keep judge could be lasting over the next couple of weeks but instead it reportedly was done today Joe Judge reportedly out is the head coach of the New York Giants We'll get to more into that coming up in a little bit. Tell you what else is happening around the NFL. Giants now will be looking for a head coach just like the Chicago Bears, who are set to interview former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores and former Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. David Culley still has a job as the Texans head coach. The Athletics says a decision on his future could drag out to the end of this week. Browns GM Andrew Barry says the team expects Baker Mayfield to be the team's starting quarterback in 2022. Cardinals defensive end J.J. Watt could practice Thursday as the team hopes he plays Monday against the Rams. The Toronto Maple Leafs take on the Vegas Golden Knights at 10 o'clock Eastern time in our Discover Card Key Matchup brought to you by Discover. Real credit card questions require real people, someone who understands your issues and works to resolve them with you. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Doug, back to you.
0: Charles Robinson joins us, Yahoo Sports, Doug Gottlieb's show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, why was there such consternation over firing Joe judge
1: um so i think I think there are two things in play here. I think there was you know I think Joe Judge was told down the stretch, we're looking to have you back, and I do believe that was something that occurred prior to sort of the rant after the Chicago bears loss in in week seventeen that Joe Judge had it in his mind that okay, you know I'm gonna be back for year three. And, you know, but then he goes out and he says what he says after the Bears loss, you know, that seemed sort of like a loose grip on his program. And then, you know, what happened, I think, in week 18 to lose in the fashion that they did to have what was effectively a kneel down at the floor that was embarrassing and no one could deny how embarrassing that was. Um, and then afterward to not feel like he had to really justify um, the decisions he was making, I think that hurt him. Um in the eyes of ownership and they sat there and said, okay, we thought we didn't want to do the two year thing again with a coach. We'd done that with the previous two. We didn't want to do a two year again. We wanted to be patient and let this play itself out. But this has also taken a complete left turn from where we thought it would when we, when we were of that mindset a couple of weeks ago. And then secondly, I think the thought process was um, maybe we let the GM make the call on the next coach But I also think once internal discussion started, it was are you if if, you know, when you put the next GM in there, are you kind of hamstringing that that GM like shouldn't this sort of at this stage be an ownership decision? You're already pivoting away from Dave Gettleman. Um, You know, why take what is kind of a garbage fire and hand it off to whatever, you know, whoever the next GM is. That's your first act. You're going to give them Joe Judge and say, you make the decision when in reality, it really should be an ownership decision at this point.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Um, had you heard, had you heard of Brian Flores's ego being to the level that the Miami Herald reported today? Um, okay. So
1: here, here's, here's the deal with Flores. There's going to be two narratives that, that come out here. And I knew that was going to be the case when he was fired Um, I had heard, going all the way back to August, when I started to report some things about the Deshaun Watson pursuit, I had someone reach out and said, hey, look, you need to understand um, that not everybody in the building's on the same page, that Brian Flores very much is is leaning into this Deshaun Watson thing, and there's some, not hand-wringing, but some people who want to handle this a little more patiently inside the organization. So that was the first time where I was like, huh, like, okay, it sounds like maybe he and Chris Greer aren't necessarily um, completely lined or at least they're not reaching the finish line at the same time. Then November, I, I talked to someone and they said, look, um, this feels like a clash of personalities. Like it's starting to become apparent that Brian really wants more of the organizational decision-making to flow through him. He doesn't want to have to take it to the floor um, and debate it every time something's got to be done. And um you know, it it was it started to be described to me in terms of, and and this is always going to sound negative, but it's just about mentality, the way Bill O'Brien wanted things to run in Houston when he was sure. having problems with Rick Smith. So I'm like, okay, I see some of the comparisons. You got a coach who says, hey, a lot of the decision making let let it flow through the coach. You do see that work. Like Kyle Shanahan is the front man in San Francisco. Okay, John Lynch is is there, but he you know he seeds some things to Kyle Shanahan the same with the rams you know less need feed some things to sean mcveigh it does work in other places um but it it was i don't think it was going to work in miami because you had the coach and gm had very different personalities Flores is very blunt very forward very aggressive greer's a little more reserved laid back um a little more patient and and it became this clash of styles well after he was fired someone reached out to me and they were just like hey You know, there's going to be this idea where Flores is going to distance himself from some of the decisions that were made or, you know, things that came down the pipeline with Tua and and how Tua was looked at in the organization. But, you know, um, Brian Flores was at one point on board with Tua um, as much as anyone else in the building and don't let this start to separate itself. Right then I was like, okay, here we go. Like, this is where it's going to start to get spun. Inside the organization, it's going to be like, you know, Flores was overbearing or boorish or forceful. It's going to sound like when Jim Harbaugh was coming out of um, San Francisco, you heard a lot of the same things, burns people out, um, pushes people to the max. doesn't know how to manage relationships, all these things. And I'm sure there's going to be a counter narrative, which is like people just were not willing to make the tough decisions in terms of the personnel department and, and sometimes even at ownership to get that Uh, Team around the bend. So it's going to be a a split. You you decide who you want to line up with um, at this point. But what's clear is it was definitely a clash of personalities that was not going to work. And I truly believe it was probably the right decision to make now rather than have this turn into the sort of open warfare of Rick Smith versus uh, Bill O'Brien that happened in Houston.
0: You tell me if I'm wrong, okay? But this is, by my estimation, the problem with almost all of the Patriots guys. Almost all of them. right? And you wonder why they haven't succeeded. It's because what they have learned, what they have watched is this is how Bill Belichick's able to operate. But what they fail to realize is like Bill Belichick, it's been over 20 years in the making this sort of control. And oh yeah, by the way, it was helped you know, be built originally by Bill Parcells, right? So that Kind of that's how the organization is wired. You have the right owner, the right timing, the right quarterback, the right everything. And these guys got to go to a new place and try and force it and do what they see Belichick did. And they know that's how Belichick's been su- uh, successful. And it almost always backfires.
1: I I think that's true. And I also think that people don't have an appreciation for what Bill was at the start of the Patriots regime, and then what he is now, like that, you know, it's developed over time. Like, it's funny. Go back and look at clips of Bill Belichick's first press conference with the Patriots. You'll be stunned. Like, it, sometimes it feels like a different person. Not completely. You, know, you, can, you can still see the hallmarks, the traits there. He's, you know, going to be a demanding guy. He's extremely cerebral, all these different things. But, you know, as you win, it does become a, hey, I built the culture here. This is how it is fit in or get out like it's pretty simple well when you come up in a fit in or get out culture and don't realize that it took a while to kind of morph into that you don't understand where you got to begin you're just like oh it begins like that and you know uh, it was funny because um kevin clark and i from the ringer we were talking and you know kevin made this comment that i thought was really true about about patriots Assistance where he said hey you know you get these guys and it seems like they're they're more talking to you instead of you're talking at you, then talking to you, you know, these coaches, these Patriots guys come up and they get up there, and they're talking at you. They're not talking to you. And, and sometimes that's a different experience for players. And then, you know, people in the personnel department, um, it's, you know, it is, it's a difficult, uh, it's been a difficult run for, for Belichick guys. And, and I would say, you know, maybe the one that you could look at who really has succeeded in a big way is Mike Vrabel, but Mike Vrabel also is, I think, someone who is more about building sort of his own culture. He's not—he's not a one-for-one one with Bill. He's a little bit of a different guy in some respects. Um, close to his roster, very—you know—can be a player's coach, but also demanding. Um, he's also I,
0: I think he's a former player. I mean, I think that's—that—that's—it changes everything when you're a former player, right?
1: I mean, you know, Flores, you know, Flores played football, you know, he wasn't like a long tenured, obviously NFL player, but I mean, you know, he, look, he was in personnel for a while. So it wasn't like he was just a coach the whole time. You know, he, he saw both sides of the fence and personnel and coaching. So you would, that was part of the thing is it was like, well, he was in personnel for a while with the Patriots. So he's going to have an appreciation for the other side of the aisle as a coach. And, you know, that's not always, you know, sometimes it's, you have a way of doing things. You have expectations. You are willing to look at maybe key players on the roster and tell other people in the building, this guy's soft. And other people in the building go, whoa, like that's not the assessment we're going to have or share or ever say to the media. And yet that's his opinion. And he's like, we need to move on from this individual. He's soft. We need to go elsewhere. And there might not be agreement. It, when Look, when Ross comes out and says it needs to be more collaborative, um, what that tells me about Brian Flores is – the next job, the next opportunity needs to be wired the way it is in, like, San Francisco and with the Rams and other places where it's, he's going to be the front man, there will be collaboration, but the point, that the GM has to know, I'm okay with that guy being the one who ultimately makes the decisions and he's not wearing the carpet out coming to my office to, to get my opinion or or make, you know, X or
0: Y move. Do you think he gets a job in this cycle?
1: I... The the job honestly to me when I look at the jobs that are open that
0: makes sense. Um, Houston, uh, it's not it's not open, but Houston makes like Patriot Patriots guys running it right. Deshaun Deshaun Watson it was is apparently wants to play for him. Like Houston, the, the sense, Giants not. are the other one. The Giants are the other one because because of Belichick's relationship with the Giants. If he and Belichick are still close, which I don't know if they are.
1: I, I here's here's why I think Houston doesn't make sense is that you don't know like Jack Easterby's involvement, okay, Nick Cassara's involvement. You know, remember Nick is on the headset with David Cully, okay, during games. Like there's a general manager on the headset with the head coach talking about the next play. Like think about that for a second. You think that's gonna fly with flow? It's not. And um, you know, so I think that involvement, I don't know, you know, obviously look like you look, they come from that same bubble. I get that, but I, I think more along the lines of an owner that is looking and saying, I believe in you. I believe in what you bring to the table. And, and I'm, I'm good with you being the front man of the program. And we're going to make it clear to the general manager that this is how it needs to work because that, that's the thing flow should have learned coming out of Miami is, Hey, this is really what I want. Like, honestly, the Raiders, like the Raiders are the kind of organization. They did it with Gruden. Um, you know, Mike Mayock was taking a back seat to John in many respects, there, or at least in some respects. And I think Mark Davis is okay laying a coach in it, but I think Mark Davis wants Jim off. <laughs> so, you know, the Giants—I don't know, I don't know yet with the Giants. I have to find out what the dynamic. You know, what is the dynamic? They everything with flow is going to depend depend on what is the dynamic the owner wants the the GM to have with the head coach. If they're going to be equal partners, and this is all just one big equal partnership. That's bad news. I think the GM has to be slightly drawn back behind Flo a little bit and let Flo lead where the decision-making and the culture and, and even some of the personnel is going.
0: Mm, mm. Uh, l- last thing, we, we, we both, I know, got to run. Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports. Check out his uh, Yahoo Sports NFL podcast as well. Um, I, I I'm, I'm just I'm not surprised, but the Browns gave the vote of confidence – twice over general manager and coach to Baker Mayfield. Does that mean anything in the grand scheme of things?
1: Uh, So, okay, here's my understanding of how this was arrived at, you know, the Browns sat down and they said, okay, they'd spent time over the last couple of months looking outward at like, what's the quarterback market going to shape up? What are the opportunities that are out there? Let's do our due diligence to see what the options are, where are the doors? Well, they're not great. You know, it's going to be extremely costly if you're going to make a run at any of the big guys, uh, whether it's Russell Wilson, if he's available, whether it's Deshaun Watson, if you want to take on the potential PR stuff there. Who knows with Roger? You know, there's always – and you don't know if any of those guys want to come to Cleveland, okay? And even if they do, ton of – got to spend a ton to get them. Then the second-tier options are all – who knows like are any of these guys really any better than baker do we know that so what they did was they flipped on the tape from 2020 Said, let's watch what went right with this guy watch the totality of 2020 then they watched 2021 said let's see what went wrong and they i think what happened was when they sat down they were honest with themselves and they said you know what some of this was baker's fault it wasn't all injury some of it was injury some of it was baker some of it was the scheme some of it was the players around him maybe this is more of a collective issue than we really initially might have thought it was when we were in the worst of it I think they just assessed the situation and they said there is no better option clearly than the guy who we were very very happy with coming out of 2020 and we just want to cast that aside um, you know, because of what happened in 2021 when we don't know that there's anyone else we're going to be able to bring in that's going to be any better so it makes some sense honestly once I was able to understand how they arrived at the decision and going back to 2020 comparing the two seasons and getting a feel for who was sort of at fault for everything and seeing how it was a little more shared than i think they realized and they yielded when they looked at him pre-injury he was doing some things they were pretty happy with and that changed
0: charles robinson charles great stuff man thanks so much for joining us look forward to the next pod let's talk next week
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, brother. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
0: Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio, crazy day. Let's get to the press. The Press. Better Sportsbook, the most trusted name in online sports betting. Go to better Sportsbook at betters.com. Got to be in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania play game. Problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dan Byer, what do you got? Byer.
2: Doug, the big news, the breaking news. Joe Judge fired by the Giants in a statement. Giants co-owner John Mara said, quote, I said before the season started, I wanted to feel good about the direction we were headed when we played our last game of the season. Unfortunately,
0: I cannot make that statement, end quote. I, I don't think it was. It's more a surprise that he hadn't already been fired. Uh, yeah, I like the energy and the passion. But, I mean, that thing was just a disaster this year. Time to start over. Last night's TV ratings for the
2: national championship game between Georgia and Alabama, the low, second lowest in the college football playoff era. Outside of last year, it's the lowest rated national championship game since 2005, according to Sports Business Journal.
0: It's becoming NASCAR. you got to get some teams from the Midwest, Texas, and, of course, Uh, California would really help.
2: And finally, Action Network says Fanatics sold more Georgia national champions merchandise overnight than the previous 30-day record set by Alabama following last season's national title. They have won
0: since 1980, right? There's a lot of Georgia Bulldog fans. They, you know, even my my ex-producer, Adam Klug, congratulations to the Kluger. You got One more? No, that's it, Doug. Hey, get out there and press. That was the press. Speaking of Alabama, I'll be on the call of Alabama versus uh, Auburn. I think we're done with the firings as of now, right? Now we start the hiring season. We start the hiring season. All right, we'll get you ready plus for the playoffs. And more reaction upcoming tomorrow on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio.